Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, the top things you need to stop or start doing in your clinic today. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we are going to give you some of our best tips and tricks and the things you should stop or start doing to make your life a little better, a little easier, maybe a better veterinary professional, maybe a better colleague, maybe a better life partner. I don't know. We're going to go in a lot of different directions. But first, as always, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And guys, there are books, thousands of books written on how you can improve some part of your life, whether it's your diet or your exercise or your stress or your love life. I mean, you know, there's a lot of books. So today I thought, let's write our own little book on the things that we should be doing or not doing in our veterinary lives. What do you guys think? You up Love for it? it. Let's Sounds great. do it. All right, so Cindy, I will toss the ball off to you to begin. Yeah, so I actually have strong feelings about something medically I think we could start doing that would be really beneficial for our patients. And I think that we should start including a behavioral assessment at every single visit. So yes. um, and the, my favorite question, I think a really easy place to start is to just ask all your clients, is there anything or what is your pet doing at home that you wish they weren't doing? Because that opens the door to let owners talk to you about just habits that right now might just seem annoying or they might be a little bit concerned about, but haven't escalated to the point that it's a full scale behavioral emergency. And a lot of times people won't bring these things up to you until it's really hard to treat or until it's pretty advanced. And we, it's much, much easier to address these things when they're mild. It also signals to people that this is something we like to talk about and that we're willing to talk about. And people may instead be turning to Dr. Google or to trainers and they might not always be getting the best advice. You know, Cindy, I love that. That goes back to my first book where I used to say the last question I ask if it hasn't come up is the anything that, you know, Buster's doing that kind of bugs you a little bit. You know, you try to make it one of those deals where it's like, you know, hey, it's safe. You know, we're not talking about like, you know, it's biting your neighbor's face off. It's just like, you know, is he jumping up on the UPS guy? Yeah. And I think, you know, we talk so much about prevention of disease and we know that euthanasia is a major cause of death in our patients. And so I think it's our responsibility to take action on it. Did you just say euthanasia is a major cause of death? Unfortunately, yeah. So for our patients, in patients um, under two years of age, euthanasia or relinquishment due to behavioral issues is actually a major problem for those patients. So our young patients are way less likely to die of parvo. They're way less likely to die of any kind of fecal disease. They're much more likely to die because they never learned to get potty trained or because they started biting the kids in the house. And now they're a bunctious two-year-old lab and they're relinquished to a shelter. And maybe nobody picks them up and takes them home. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that was uh, the on the forefront of my mind as far as behavioral euthanasia. I think that's um, is such an important thing for us to think about because when we are preventing death and we are, are in it to support longevity, that's exactly what we need to be thinking about. Wow. Well, listen, I will stay on the medical theme and you know where I'm going to go with this. And that is in addition to asking about those bugging behaviors, what about 
BCS. I mean, too often people walk out of our clinic not having any idea of the current body condition state. So it's as simple as doing a BCS. It's a one to nine scale. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be an expert, but I think that you should be having this conversation. So if we want to save lives, prevent disease, extend longevity, and more importantly, to elevate quality of life, come on, let's talk about the weight. And Ernie, uh, I've heard some kind of things off and on about whether or not we should be training owners to also be assessing body condition score at home. What are your feelings on that? Yeah, I'm for anything that raises awareness. And so there has been some criticism and, of course, some support on what's the value of teaching a pet owner to do these evaluations. And I'm sort of like of the, the mindset that it doesn't matter if they get it right or, or wrong. It's just that are we raising that awareness? And if they're actually looking at their pet's body condition, it's probably more positive than negative. You know, really, in this current day and age, when we've got a global pet obesity you know, problem. I want to do everything. So yeah, Cindy, it's a great, great question. I don't have the right answer, but I would say you should be having this conversation with your clients to help maybe prevent them from having confusion online or wherever. I think it's also a really good thing to do this because when you talk to clients about body condition score and you ask them to body condition score their own pet, oftentimes they take the news that their pet is over, you know, that their pet is obese or overweight a little bit softer because maybe they can come to that conclusion on their own and you don't really have to break it to them. They would say, oh, wow, I, you know, based on this, I'd say she's a six and we can start that conversation from there. Yeah. And you know, Becky, that's a really good point. And, and even in our national pet obesity survey, which please, 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 veterinarians help us out, you know, go to petobesityprevention.org and sign up. We need your help. But even there, we tell them to do this, to ask the client for their own assessment of their pet's body condition before actually giving them their BCS score. And so, Becky, what you said is so salient to this conversation. We like to start off by saying, so tell me, what do you think about Buster's current, you know, body condition or his weight, you know, whatever you choose to use there. We usually, we tend to prefer to go to body condition because weight can have some stigma attached to it. Mm -hmm. But yes, yeah. great point, Becky. Yeah. And, um, I was, my mind was blown by the hand tool, the, the helping explain to clients how to feel their pet's ribs based on, you know, feeling across their knuckles, um, making a fist or kind of feeling across their palm. I, I found that super helpful. Um, is yeah. that, is that a tool you guys use or that you like to use? It is, Absolutely. you know, you know, Dr. Julie Churchill at University of Minnesota started that years and I mean, I hate to put an age on it, but it's probably close to 20 years ago. And it is a fantastic way to tool. And if you aren't familiar with what we're referring to, you basically look at the back of your hand and we tell owners that as you, you rub, rub across the back of your hand, you feel those tendons, right? That's almost how you should be feeling the ribs of a dog in a normal body condition, a lean muscle mass, you know, condition. And so you can, of course, you know, flex your, your, you can make a fist and make it tighter, you know, but whatever we're trying to do, we're trying to say, you know what, if you're seeing that, you know, inch of jelly, <laughs> you're trying to yeah. dig around and find a rib, that's a, probably an issue. Now, I will say this, and Julie and I, of course, and, and Julie and I are very involved with the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention, and she's also one of the uh, the drafter. She and Alex German and myself wrote this new Global Pet Obesity Initiative Statement that's just been approved by the AVMA, declaring pet obesity as a disease. But I will tell you this, we all will tell you that thoracic adiposity, you know, so that mm -hmm. those fat deposits over the ribs, it's not really the thing we're most focused on. You know? it's, it's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Becky, what about you? What's your thing that we're going to put in this book? 
Well, for me, I think I want to do a, uh, at a, at a start doing as well. And, and I know it's catching on like wildfire, but start using cooperative care, start using fear-free handling, stop forcing your clients um, and your patients into behaviors, um, and, and really start to think about the mindset and the quality of life during the visit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the safety and the comfort of our patients should be paramount. And I think it's always been there. I think now we've just gotten some clever marketing around it. But the reality is, you know, you should never, ever, ever force your patient to do something that they don't want to do unless it's life-saving or necessary. But, you know, I think about all those years, Becky, of seeing veterinarians, you know, stretch these cats out to get a jugular stick and the cat is freaking out, you know, or the nail trims that required four people to pile on. I mean, those days, come on, let's let them go. Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, there's so much of that still happening out there where it's just old school handling, just force it and get it done. We did a podcast uh, a few months ago with Monique Fairchild when um, her book was coming out, Cooperative Veterinary Care. And if you've got questions about it, if you think you're too busy, um, we can't do that in an emergency care. We can't do that in a shelter. Oh my gosh. Yes, you can. Um, there's Facebook groups in support of cooperative veterinary care and handling. Um, again, like you said, there's some marketing stuff going on. So there you know, there's trademarked versions that your hospital can get involved with. And it creates such a positive environment. I remember the last hospital I was part of implementing this in, I said, you know, at the end of the day, we go home smelling like peanut butter and cheese instead of <laughs> anal glands and, and, and less desirable things that come out of mm -hmm. our, our patients because we were no longer wrestling them. And I also really found a notable difference in how much we were laughing as opposed to sweating and wrestling and feeling badly because, you know, you're like, your patient hates me. My, my patient hates me. We went from that to, to clients who we literally had this one little cavalier who had terrible allergies so we used frozen green beans and she would like pull her mom over to get to the back for her nail trim after a few visits because she knew right. she was getting all the frozen green beans she could eat and she loved it and and it was a positive experience for everybody well cindy what about your next green bean what have you got for us yeah so so for me i think my next one is something i think we should stop trying to do and i think we should stop trying to be perfect. I think when, especially for me coming out of vet school, I thought being a, a doctor meant that you needed to be perfect all the time. You need to be perfect at your diagnosis. You need to be perfect at treatment. You need to be perfect at client communication. You need to be perfect working with your team. And the truth is that none of us is perfect. Right. Uh, that is just the human condition. Yeah. And in fact, when we're willing to admit that and we're really willing to recognize our own strengths and weaknesses, I think one, your, your clients already know that you're not perfect. They can sense your worry or they can sense your, uh, you know, confusion on your face. And so when we say, you know, hey, this one's a little bit difficult or this one's a little bit different, I'm going to reach out for some more resources that actually can restore their confidence in you. And when we're willing to admit that we need to improve ourselves, that we're working on certain things, I think that's more inspirational to the rest of our team too. So I think you're so right. You're right. It gives wiggle room to the team to feel okay with making mistakes because, you know, out there, there are so many cultures of shaming when mistakes are, are made. And so I think that makes such a great point. And, you know, honestly, how boring would it be to be perfect, to think you have nowhere to rise and nowhere to go and nothing to work toward? And I'm going to hey. maybe modify my statement a little bit and I'll say, stop trying to be perfect and just focus on being better than where you are now. 
Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yes. Yeah. Always trying to be better. You can always be better. Well, yeah. you know what? I'll take my turn now. And I will tell you another thing like Cindy, to, that we should stop doing. And that is stop telling and advocating and promoting things to our clients that we don't really believe in. And, you know, I know we've had a lot of podcast episodes around these types of topics, but the reality is if you're not doing it for yourself or your own pet, I don't think you have any business telling it somebody else to do it. I mean, again, I hate to be sort of hard line on this, but you know, one of the reasons that years ago, uh, you know, in, in my first book, we wrote this thing about auditing your staff's records. And what we were trying to do was to under, you know, get veterinary clinics to understand that, you know what, their, their own staff weren't vaccinating their own pets and the way that they were advocating for their clients. Now, this was obviously when I was pushing for extended duration vaccines. So, you know, I'm trying to, I was trying to make a point to the profession that, hey, we're not doing this ourselves. So don't be so hard on Mrs. Smith when she didn't come in every year for all those vaccines, right? So yeah. again, stop telling clients to do things you don't believe in and start telling clients to do those things that you're truly passionate about. Because that, again, getting back to happiness and fulfillment and meaning in your work. I mean, when you are actually in alignment with your own core beliefs and actions and values and behaviors, you know, it just gets a lot easier, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's such a great point. And I think you can have a more honest conversation with your clients when you're advocating for what you're doing and what you believe in. And, you know, uh, we talked about this a long time ago, but as a support staff member, it's really hard when you work for multiple doctors and multiple doctor practices, and there are a lot of different value bases. And so coming together and deciding what they are and uniting on that front makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Well, what else makes a huge difference, Becky? So I'm going to move away from the clients and talk a little bit about um, personal care. And I'm going to say, start taking lunch. Ooh, and nice. to attach to that, don't shame people who take lunch. Don't say, must be nice. I wish I got a lunch. Take your lunch, enjoy it, get away, leave the building if you can. Eat something healthy, nutritious, good for you. Get out, move around, get some fresh air. Um, you know, we have got to prioritize that self-care element and and we've really got to take that time. And I know we don't work in a perfect world. I know in the veterinary hospital, um, things happen, emergencies come up. But if more days than not, you're not taking that time for yourself during the day, you really need to reevaluate how your practice is scheduling. Yeah, and Becky, you bring up a really, really important point, And that is, are we inadvertently shaming or discouraging our coworkers, colleagues, even our the people in our families and friends from actually doing things that are positive and beneficial to their own health. So you're right. I mean, yeah. I've seen so many doctors that pride themselves on, you know, hey, I never take a lunch, you know? Right. Well, what's the signal to your team, right? And is that healthy? And more importantly, is it sustainable? Yeah, and I think we can even go the other direction and we can start praising people for making sure to take right. time for themselves. Yes. And I think in both this arena, as well as in uh, the fear-free example that you mentioned earlier, Becky, I think we're going to reach the point where we might be able not to afford to not do it. Because right. when we take care of ourselves, we're going to be more efficient. We're going to take better care of our patients. We're going to be kinder to our clients. When our patients are happier, we're going to be more efficient. Our clients are going to be happier with their experience at our hospital. So these things aren't not just, they are good for our patients. They're, they're good for us, but they're also good for the bottom line. Wow. Well, I like bottom line stuff. So Cindy, you've got anything that might help our bottom line? 
<laughs> yeah. So one of the things I think would be really helpful is if we were going to start innovating more in terms of business models in the veterinary profession. So there are some changes I think are obvious that we're already seeing on the horizon, especially as it comes to telemedicine. But one place I think that we have a big hole in veterinary medicine is I think we don't have no models that really are designed for low-income clients. So I work in a practice that that services a low-income community, and I've identified that there are there are really different needs that that community has. A lot of folks work third shift, so they need more flexible hours. Um, you know, certainly they need some more flexibility in terms of payment options. I think there are ways that we could have more efficient practices. I think we could leverage technicians more. So I'm kind of surprised, frankly, that there aren't more folks taking advantage of that. Um, we know that in other industries, um, there are ways to ethically service low-income communities that can also be profitable. So, so that was something that's surprising to me. And I think there are likely other uh, groups of pet owners in in America and around the world that we're just not creating business models that are designed for them. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, and I think all of us have talked about this separately in our own presentations and, and you know, articles and things. But the reality is make preventive veterinary care affordable because we really need to try to broaden our reach as, as far as possible. Well, I'll stay on this little theme a little bit about, you know, improving your bottom line and, and trying to make sure that, you know, you actually have a job next year. And that is, you know, you really need to be evaluating your profitability of your practice. And I know a lot of you listening today are going, you know what, I'm a veterinary technician, I'm an associate veterinarian, the profitability doesn't mean anything to me. It should. You really need to know and have some basic understanding and some transparency on like what the mechanics that drive your business are. Because if you're in a clinic that isn't profitable or isn't, you know, making enough money to actually, you know, grow and expand and, and invest in new things and new people, then you're really at risk. So I would encourage you to talk to your managers, to your owners and try to get some idea. You know, again, a little bit of open book management, I think, is, is really important for us. But sort of say, how can you do, you know, how can you help improve profitability? And then that leads me to the next part of this is that you know, if you're an associate veterinarian or an experienced technician or manager, you may find some creative ways to share in the profit. And so obviously over the years, I've written a lot about different creative ways from a tax advantage and from a you know remuneration standpoint. But, you know, really, I, I want you to understand no matter what your position in your vet hospital is, is how profitable or not your clinic is. I've heard some amazing talks from Jessica Trichelle, uh, who's the, I think, the vice president of student relations or student outreach at Live Oak Bank. Um, she does a great talk that makes financial information much more approachable. And she basically says, look, you know, financial data is just the, the vital statistics. It's just the blood work for your practice. And for some reason, she says, we put a dollar sign in front of it and we all freak out. Right. But it's exactly the same thing. It's just telling us how healthy our business is instead of telling us how healthy our patient is. And I thought that was so genius and um, definitely, I think it's something we can all figure out. If we can understand blood work, we can understand looking at some of those financial numbers. Yeah, and you know, Cindy, it's, it's sort of been baffling to me. So, you know, uh, uh, there was a wave of this back in the late 90s where a lot of us were out there saying, look, you know, you need to have some open book management. And, mm -hmm. and maybe, I, I think what happened was the reaction from the veterinary owners at the time were going, oh, so you just want to tell everything. And we never were actually, m most of us were not saying that. We're saying, no, the basic metrics, like you're saying, right? It's like, you know, so what does yeah. it look like for expense? 
expenses and overhead and how much do we pay, you know, in percentage of gross revenue for salaries? I mean, how much do drugs cost us? Yeah. You know, big, big issues, but that general macro view. And and really fast forward to today, the corporations actually do that. Now, most of them, many of them are required by law, but even the ones that are privately held, you know, they tend to share this with the entire organization to say, hey, we want to do better because if we do better, you do better. Yeah, you know, uh, you just said the exact point I was thinking, which is share that with the whole team. Yeah. I think yeah. it's very important for every member of the team to know what things cost within the practice. I think a lot of times support staff members don't realize how much things can add up. And I think going over the numbers and saying, this is how much money we made today. This is how much money it takes to run this office in a day. Um, this is where we're at. I think sometimes people are afraid to do that because if, if it looks like you make too much money, they're going to want more of that money. <laughs> and that's, you know, what I've been told in that kind of old school thinking. It is old but school. Yeah. It is, but it's out there, right? And it's yeah. probably out there more than the, the new understanding of how important it is for everyone on the, on the team to have that information. So make sure you're sharing it with, with the whole team. Well, Becky, what else would you like to share with our listeners? So I'm going to stay on the money theme, um, but I'm going to talk to, you know, everyone, but I think especially support staff members who don't always get the financial counseling I think that maybe they need, but to say start saving, start saving for retirement, start saving for a rainy day, just start saving. Um, you know, we talk a lot about burnout. We talk a lot about anxiety. We talk a lot about the, the difficulties within our industry. Um, but I also look around my colleagues and I see a lot of um, lack of financial education and, and a lot of just trying to make it paycheck to paycheck. And while I understand that there are means of, about that, I think there is a lot of lack of education. So go out there, get educated about money, get educated about finances. Sticking your head in the sand does not do anything. And have some savings. Um, start saving for retirement, start saving for a rainy day. Like I said, for me, um, I use an app called Digit. I don't know if you guys have ever heard sure. of it. It is an amazing app that pretty much, you know, paid the whole closing cost for my house that we just bought. And it took it two and three and 25 and sometimes 50, depending on how you set it at a time. It's a really cool, um, I think using technology to our advantage is an important thing that we sometimes overlook. And there are amazing financial apps out there that make it super easy. And you don't have to go to a bank and, and feel shamed or like you don't know what you're doing or be intimidated. Right. And if you're if you work in a small clinic, like, you know, let's say it's eight employees and a lot of times, you know, your boss or manager will come back and, and when you ask them about retirement, they'll say, well, we don't qualify for a 401k or we can't do a simple IRA because of whatever, you know, and and I can tell you there are a lot of creative accounting ways around that. I mean, we found them until we got you know large enough to actually qualify for some of these programs. But we found that there are groups that you can actually join. You can actually uh, kind of share in some of these um, benefits that maybe you didn't think about. There's a, a couple of really cool companies. I'll just mention one. I don't have any affiliation, but I, I do know their products and, and recommended them over the years. Flex HR can help you sort of get very creative if you're a small clinic. Uh, again, you can talk to those people uh, for sure about ways that you can get retirement, you know, through your, your business. And what Becky's saying is very, 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 very important for you because you need to have those conversations. Go to your manager this week and say, look, you know, I'm not saving. Can you help me? <laughs> because maybe you just yeah. need to create that habit and you don't have the mechanisms in place to sort of force you to set aside part of your earnings for your future. And I think a lot of us 
uh, get in touch at one point or another with people who are interested in being veterinary students or people who might be taking out student loans in one way or another. I highly recommend looking at the VIN Foundation resources. They have some really great resources now for evaluating yeah. the overall cost of education for the different schools you might be looking at. I had to do that all by hand when I was looking at schools. Yeah. And if you're looking at what kind of repayment plans uh, to pay back your loan, they can also not only help you figure out what kind of repayment plan might work for you, but also how much you should be putting towards savings if you are using an income-based repayment strategy and you're going to have to pay off the taxes at the end of 25 years. Well, how much do you need to be putting off now so that you can pay off the taxes on a huge amount of money? Right. So uh, just take advantage of those for sure. And, and if you know any students or anyone who's planning on being students, uh, give those to them. Well, Cindy, what else should our listeners be taking advantage of to stop or start in their practice life? Yeah, so I think we need to stop tolerating toxic behaviors. So yes. this is something that I see over and over again through my jerk research that people think they're doing someone a favor or they're being kind to them somehow by kind of dealing with or tolerating the, the bad behavior, uh, they think, well, I don't want to fire this person. I want to be nice. It's really not that bad. And they kind of get habituated to it. But the truth is toxic behaviors are one of the most contagious things in our practices. And they're also potentially really dangerous to, dangerous to our patients. We know at least in human medicine that about 27% of human medical professionals think that these toxic behaviors are contributing to patient mortality. And the numbers are even higher for patient morbidity and medical mistakes. So um, there, are, a lot of times we think, can toxic people change or can these toxic behaviors change? The answer is not always, but about 33% of the time with a good regimented program with goals and follow-up and a person who is willing to try and change these behaviors, they can change. And it may also be a function of them being in the wrong environment. So sometimes encountering them, figuring out if it's a good fit can be better not only for the organization, but also for the person that you think you're doing a favor for by tolerating this bad behavior. Absolutely. And I've got a favor that every clinic should start today. And it's, of course, something that really I think um, is why I had my success in private practice. And that is weekly or regular staff training. I mean, nothing brings together your team more than, you know, learning a new skill or a new concept. I mean, it's great for morale. There's so many benefits to actually coming together and having these discussions on a regular basis. Now, for us, we went in, we, you know, we went into the weekly staff training every Wednesday morning from 9 until 11. That was our thing. Um, and again, you can find the time, but the reality is that regularity, that consistency is what really makes the difference. And so for me, at the end of the day, if you could just start one thing in your clinic to transform your life, it would be regular staff training. I don't know, Becky, what have you got? Well, so for me, I think I'm going to stick with that kind of self-care theme and say, start doing that thing you always wanted to do. Stop saying, oh, I've always wanted to, and go ahead and fill it in with, I just started doing. Um, we don't take enough time for ourselves. We always make excuses. Life is short. Life is really short. Mm. Uh, tomorrow's not promised. And you have to live for you a little bit too. Uh, we get caught up in a lot of patient care and family care and care of those around us. And we don't always prioritize ourselves. And I think sometimes we think, 
you know, I've got to do, you know, all out, whatever it is. I've got to meditate for 30 minutes or I've got to do a day at the spa. Like, no, that's not it. You can swing in for a 10 minute hand massage. You can take a pottery class. You can go for a hike, do that thing. Five minutes of just some kind of relaxation, meditation, whatever you want to talk, go stretch. I mean, it's really those little things that you do consistently that make the difference long term. And you get it in your head that if I go do this or if I change this part of my life, everything else is going to come tumbling down somehow. Right. And you would be shocked. It's, it's not. Life is going to keep on going. You make a really good point, too. You know, I think we also tend to think if I get these things in order, I'll find the time to relax or that this will come or it will happen. Mm. You, right. it, it, It's work. Your life will not fall apart around you. Things yeah. will hold together, but you also have to put the energy into it. You have to take the time to make the time. Yeah. All right, Cindy, let's, we're getting near the end of our time. So what's your last mm. little bit? I know we could go on and on, but I mean, these, I like this rapid fire. So what's your last rapid fire bit of stop so or start? My, my last thing for all of us to start doing is to just be more curious. And I think that dovetails perfectly in what, what Becky was just saying. So the things that you're interested in, pursue those passions when it comes to um, understanding other people, you know, approach every situation, assuming the best of people have an open mind, ask open-ended questions and figure out where they're coming from, you know, ask questions that, that help understand others better. And, and I think that just leads to better communication with us all. It um, allows us to learn more about ourselves. It allows us to learn more about the world around us. And, and hopefully you're listening to this podcast because you're curious and we're so glad that you are. And we're so glad to have you listening. Wow, I love that. Well, I'll stick on that positive theme. And, you know, for me, I think one of the most impactful things you can do on a, it costs you nothing. And that is just begin to approach life with more gratitude, you know, actually mm -hmm. going around and thanking your coworkers for for just doing their job. You know, people yeah. are always these vets will come up and say, Oh, well, I shouldn't have to thank my staff for doing their job. I pay them for it. It's like, that's not the point. Gratitude is really just being grateful, appreciative, you know, that actually you have this wonderful, great life, this opportunity to, to practice this profession that is, I think, amazing. So for me, it's can you find those simple things, those small, tiny details in your day to day life and be grateful for them? And then, of course, take that next step and actually thank somebody. Years and years ago, and probably when I first started my first clinic, I, I made this little promise to myself. I said, when I see somebody like cleaning a public space, whether it's a bathroom, the street, you know, at a restaurant, you know, they're cleaning the trash, I'm going to thank them for that. And so the other day, my wife and I are coming back home and the garbage truck is is down this other street, not our street, right? And we have to stop because, you know, the garbage truck is like loading and unloading, whatever. And I'm sure most of the time people are giving them stink eye. Well, when we, when they started pulling back up and we could go around them, you know, I rolled down the window. I said, Hey guys, listen, thank you so much. You're doing an awesome job. Can you find those little opportunities in your day-to-day -day life? Because I am grateful that there is a trash service. I mean, I truly am. It's like amazing, yeah. right? Because, you know, they they take a, a really part, hard part of your life out of your you know, control. You just, it's done. The trash magically disappears. So again, long-winded way to say thank people. Absolutely. Happiness is the difference between reality and what our expectations are. And rather than just set low expectations for everything and everybody in our life, the way around that is being grateful. Um, and it's the positive way to just realize that we, we can't take anything for granted and to spread that positivity around. Becky, what else can you give us as, to, as a parting gift to spread around? 
Well, I think, you know, you both said it all so well. I think be grateful. Be grateful for today. Be grateful for those around you. Come from a spot of gratitude anytime that you can. Um, we live in an amazing world. Like you said, we have trash pickup. We, you know, we aren't 11 little boys in a coach in a cave in Thailand that, you know, are, are thankfully out today. Um, we have very first world problems and I'm grateful for my problems. Well, we want to hear what you're grateful for in your life. We are grateful that you're listening to this podcast, but we also would be grateful if you would give us a review, if you would tell us what topics you'd like for us to tackle, all those things that Cindy is going to tell you about now. Yeah, if you are curious about any of the specific things we've talked about today and you'd like to hear even more about them on a future podcast, please get in touch with us. You can reach us at Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder or share some awesome pictures with us on Veterinary Viewfinder on Instagram. You can also find us on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. Your reviews mean so much to us. Um, I just had a chance to talk with the veterinarian who had actually given us the idea about the creativity podcast this week. And so we do take your ideas really seriously. We love talking about the things that you guys want to hear more about. You guys help make this podcast better and help fuel what we do. So please leave us a review on the iTunes store. And again, you may have your idea featured on the podcast. And don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time, be brave enough to start or stop the things that are most important to your life. Bye. Bye.